Isaiah chapter 9 and verse uh, 6. The Bible says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Well, here we have uh, a passage of Scripture related not only to the first coming of Christ into the world but also his second coming he is given. This shows us that Christ was the Son of God before he became a babe in the manger of Bethlehem. And then verse 7 talks about him sitting upon the throne of David. And of course he has not yet done that, but we know that's to, to be. Uh, these names that are given to him here, describing different aspects of his character and who he is, uh, his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. This is a good verse to prove the deity of Jesus Christ, that He is God. But I want us to look just at the one name today. His name shall be called Wonderful. I think that describes the Lord Jesus Christ, sums it up in one word, if you could do it. Philippians 2.9 says, Wherefore God hath highly exalted him, given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So he is wonderful. First of all, he's wonderful in his birth. That's the prominent theme of this time of year, uh, which uh, a lot of Scripture written about the birth of Jesus Christ. We're not told specifically to celebrate His birth, but if it's Bible, we ought to remember it with the rest of the Bible. And He's wonderful in His birth. His birth was unique. His birth was different. There's never been a birth like His. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 7, and verse 14, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which uh, we know means God with us according to the book of Matthew there. It's quoted there in Matthew. A virgin shall conceive. Now, can you imagine when Isaiah the prophet gave that verse how hard that was to, to uh, uh, accept, really? To believe a virgin shall conceive and we know that that's impossible with man but not with God for with God all things are possible but he said a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel now that's even that's even greater that's even more amazing it's amazing that a virgin would conceive and bear a child uh, you know, uh, some of the new versions, they change the word virgin to young woman. Well, there's nothing unusual about a young woman having a child. 
Well, I'd say there's something uh, very unusual about a virgin bearing a son. And then that this son would be God. That's the most amazing thing about that verse. A virgin would conceive. And, of course, he said there, the child is born and the son is given. This shows the preexistence of Christ. And the fact that he came into this world, 2 Corinthians 8 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. And Philippians 2, 7 said, He made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. He did not come to the palace. He came to a stable. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes, grave clothes, and laid in a manger. And uh, the angel did not appear uh, in Herod's hall there. The angel appeared in the shepherd's field and announced the birth of Jesus Christ. And there uh, he was praised by Simeon, adored by Anna, and visited with the wise men. His birth was unique. Everything about his birth was unusual and unique and wonderful. You don't think his birth was wonderful? What if he hadn't been born? Think, think of the situation then. Where would we be? The birth of Jesus Christ is very important. And the, the fact that it must be a virgin birth is of absolute importance. People say, well, what does that matter? It makes all the difference in the world. You know, if he was not the virgin-born Son of God, he was not the Son of God because he would have inherited a sin nature as, every, as all of us have. And that's why we get old and that's why we die and that's why we have trouble and that's why we have sickness and that's why we live in a world such as we live in because of the inherited sin that all of us have. Jesus Christ was the virgin-born Son of God. He was wonderful in His birth. Not only that, but He was wonderful in His life. He was wonderful in the fact that He was without sin. 1 Peter 2.22, Who did no sin, neither was guile found in His mouth. And Hebrews 4.15 says, He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. You know, I don't want to sin, but I do. And, uh, uh, you know, it's hard for me to comprehend. Uh, get into the place where you never sin. I know that will ultimately arrive when Jesus comes. And I'm looking forward to that. But for me to comprehend someone living in this world and never sinning, I'm amazed by that. I marvel at that. Even as a child growing up, you know, he had given those commandments. Honor your father and mother and obey, your, obey the parents and all. And you know, Jesus Christ never one time disobeyed his earthly parents. That would have been a sin. He never one time had an evil thought go through his mind. He never entertained any thought of foolishness ever while he was upon this earth. Can you comprehend that? He was tempted in all points, like as we are. In the flesh, he had the same temptations, and yet never yielded to one temptation. He was wonderful. 
in the fact that he was without sin. He was wonderful in his word. He spoke with authority. In John 7, they sent those uh, to, to take, bring him, and, and they came, those officers, and they came back and said, Never a man spake like this man. There was something different about his words. And even today, there's something about the Word of God, isn't it? That's wonderful and different. He was wonderful in his Word. He was wonderful in his work, in his miracles. When the, when the uh, multitude was hungry, he took a little boy's lunch, uh, five loaves and two fishes. And we think of a loaf, we think of a, uh, a loaf of bread, you know. But... Uh, uh, that one, uh, you know, not that kind of loaf. It was a small loaf and probably the barley loaf there. In fact, the Bible may bring that out. But uh, the five loaves and the two fishes, and uh, I, I was, I was uh, at a place this week and a fellow was eating some sardines. I tell you, you know, he was enjoying it, uh, but uh, I can't handle the sardines. But... Uh, Anyway, someone said those fish was probably about the size of a sardine. I mean, they were small fishes. And he fed the multitude. He was God. He was wonderful in his works. When they were thirsty, he turned the water to wine. When he was with his disciples on the stormy sea and the, and the storm came, uh, he, they awaked him out of sleep and said, Carest thou not that we perish? And he rebuked the wind and the sea and the storm. And they marveled and said, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? I'll tell you, this man was different. <laughs> this was a unique individual. This was God in the flesh. This was God dwelling in the form of man. And, uh, uh, of course, the crowning achievement was his resurrection. When he died, he arose from the dead. He was wonderful. In his life, his miracles, his teaching, everything, he proved his deity when he was upon this earth. He was wonderful. Not only was he wonderful in his life, but he was also wonderful in his death. The Bible says in Romans 5 that he died for the ungodly, and while we were, God committed his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, God made no demands upon it. Isn't that wonderful? While we were yet sinners, he came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Aren't you glad of that? And uh, uh, he died for us when we could do nothing for ourselves. Uh, uh, was it Squire Parson that wrote the song, When I Could Not Go to Where He Was, He Came to Me? And that's what he did. And he came to go to that cross, even in his birth, as we know uh, in the study of those swaddling clothes, that, uh, that they were strips of cloth three or four inches wide that they wrapped around when they embalmed the body of a dead person. And they would wrap the cloth in a layer of spices and a layer of cloth and a layer of spices. And uh, Lazarus, you remember, was bound hand and foot. And the, the angel gave the sign. This shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the child there wrapped in swaddling clothes. And lying in a manger, it was very distinct and very different, very unusual. 
And he, even from the time of his birth, that's, by the way, that's why it was an accident that the, there was no room in the inn. Sometimes we read that story and we feel sorrow that there was no room for Jesus. And yet that was all purposed by God. God was trying to teach us a lesson. He was trying to show us that he was the sacrifice. He was the Lamb of God. As John there says, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. And he was teaching in his, in his birth the, the grave being wrapped in grave clothes, laid in a manger, in a stable, ever the shepherds coming, all of it pointed to Calvary. That's, that was why he came. That was why he was born. That's why he lived. That's why he was here. That's what his purpose was. And he was wonderful when he went to that cross of Calvary. It was a horrible scene. Certainly, they hid their faces from him. And it was horrible before they ever got him to the cross as they beat him and scourged him there and crowned him with thorns and plucked his beard out and spit on him. And, uh, uh, you know, no artist, I don't think, has ever painted a scene that could come close to describing that horrible event and nailed him to that cross today. He went there for me. He went there for you. And Isaiah the prophet said, He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied that uh, God the Father got joy out of uh, uh, that uh, what was accomplished there. In Isaiah 53, 7 said, He was led as a, slam, as a lamb to the slaughter, and a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. 1 Peter 3, 18 said, It was the just for the unjust. That's, uh, that was the kind of death it was. The just for the unjust. The righteous for the unrighteous. The one who was not guilty dying for the ones who were guilty. It should have been me hanging there. It should have been you nailed there. And me. It should have been us. But he went in our place. He was wonderful in his death. Why did he do it? Why did he hang there? I had a little boy ask me one time, I was preaching on the cross. He came after the message and said, why didn't Jesus come down from the cross? And I had the opportunity of explaining to him why. That he could not come down from the cross. He could not, I think the way he said it, why didn't Jesus save himself? And uh, that was what they were mocking him with, you know. Why don't you, if you're who you claim to be, come off of the cross? I said he couldn't do that and save me and you. Right. He had to hang there. He had the power to come off of the cross. Right. He could have called 12 legions of angels. But he willingly chose. We think of the, we think of the suffering of Christ. We think of... Uh, uh, of what he went through. We think of the beating. I want to tell you that Jesus did not die from the scourging. I want to tell you he couldn't die from it. I don't care how much they had beaten him. He could never die from the scourging. He did not die from the nails in his hands. He did not die uh, from any of the other wounds that were inflicted upon him. He gave his life. He said, I have power to lay it down. And then the most amazing thing, I have power to take it up again. A person may take a gun and shoot themselves and take their own life. 
but they don't have the power to bring it back. Jesus said, I can lay it down and I can pick it up again. He had that kind of power. And he went to that cross willingly. Why did he go to the cross? You say, why did he hang there then? Well, I'll tell you why. He did it for you and he did it for me. He didn't have to go to the cross to save himself, but he had to go to the cross to save me and you. The Bible said in Hebrews 12 and verse 2, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He, for the joy that was set before him, he did not enjoy the cross as far as the flesh is concerned. But he endured it, the Bible said. He endured the cross. Who for the joy that was set before him. He saw God could see the future and he saw what would be accomplished. He saw some people sitting Sunday morning in Maranatha Baptist Church worshiping him. And... Uh, uh, he saw that, and it brought joy to him. And because of that, he remained on the cross and hung on the cross. I want to tell you that he was wonderful in his death. And then this, uh, this next point is, uh, is, I think, the greatest. He was wonderful in his resurrection. He said, you destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. They thought he was talking about the earthly temple. They said it took 46 years to build this temple. You're going to build it in three days? And uh, he was not talking about that temple. He was talking about the temple of his body. But I want to say it's wonderful in his resurrection. And the crowning doctrine of our faith is the resurrection. Yes, it was important that he be virgin born. Yes, it was important that he live a sinless life. Yes, it was important that he die on a cross. But I want to tell you, he could have done all that Without the resurrection, there'd be no salvation for you and I. He, uh, he was delivered for our fences. He was raised again for our justification. And therefore, we do not wear a cross around our neck with a, with a, cruci- or a Christ hanging on a cross because we don't believe it ended there. We believe there's an empty tomb. We believe that Jesus is alive. And we not only celebrate that once a year on Easter, but thank God we celebrate it every Sunday morning. We come together and we believe that we serve our risen Savior, that Jesus lives. He lives in our heart. And I tell you, that, that uh, uh, early Sunday morning when they came to the tomb and they found the tomb empty, that had to be an exciting time. How would you like to have been with Mary Magdalene there when the Lord appeared to her? Though the excitement of that morning had to be great. You know, I was thinking of this and imagining and trying to understand in my mind what it might have been like. You know, the devil thought he had him, didn't he? And I can imagine the devil calling, calling the underworld and, and on the first day and say, uh, have you got him? And uh, they, they cried out, he's here. He went to paradise, we know, and the Bible said his soul was not left in hell. And uh, uh, hell there, of course, before the ascension of Christ included uh, the uh, paradise portion as well as the torment portion. And I can imagine the devil, the devil calling out the, the grave and, and uh, saying, uh, do you have him? 
and the grave crying back and say, He's here. We've got the body. Uh, you know, uh, the stone is rolled, the stone is rolled in front of the tomb and the stone is sealed and the guard is set. There's no way he can get out of here. We've got him. And the great clothes that have been wrapped around him, the hundred pound of spices, and the devil cries to the grave clothes and say, Do you have him? And the grave clothes say, cries out and says, He's wound good and tight. We've got him bound hand and foot. There's no way he can escape. Then on the second day, the devil checks in again. And then the world cries and said, He's still here. And uh, the tomb said, cries back and said, We still got the body. You know, the, uh, uh, the, the stone is in place, the guard is set, and the grave clothes said, we're, we're still intact. Everything's fine. And then can you imagine with me on that third morning, the devil cries, calls up to the world and, and says, Do you have him? And they said, We can't find him. In fact, we not only can't, we can't find him, we can't find anyone else. <laughs> you know, paradise has been emptied. It seems everybody's gone. And he cries out uh, to the tomb. And the tomb cries back and says, Something unusual is happening here. The earth is a shaking. And, uh, you know, the, somebody's rolling the stone away. And the guard are unconscious outside. And they cry back and says, or the angel cries out to the devil and said, He's not here but he's risen. And then he cries out to the grave clothes and said, I thought you had him bound the hand and foot. Says, we're still intact. You know, we're still here and the, the bandages are all still bound up. Right. The most amazing thing, there's no body. <laughs> we don't know how he got out. We don't know how he slipped out. We don't know how he escaped, but thank God he's gone, you know. I want to tell you that Jesus Christ is alive. He was wonderful in his resurrection. And uh, because uh, he overcame death, hell, and the grave, because he arose victorious, then that gives hope. And I was thinking about this as, as I was uh, studying this message. And you know, I thought about the empty tomb, and there's a lot of discussion about, about where the uh, you know, the graves are going to be opened. They're not going to be opened. I don't know where they will or won't, but uh, uh, personally, I kind of think they will. Just like the angel rolled the stone back to show the empty tomb, I think God's going to open the graves up, you know, to show the bodies are gone. And, uh, but just as certain as he came out of the grave, that's just as sure as the child of God, their body is coming out of the grave. I want to tell you, he's wonderful in his resurrection. And then not only that, but he's wonderful in his ascension. You know, he appeared after his resurrection to the disciples there for 40 days and nights, and then uh, he took them out there, uh, out there uh, uh, to the Mount of Olives and gave them final instructions and said, uh, you know, that he was going back to the Father, but he gave some blessed news. He said, I'll be back. I'll be coming back. <laughs> and thank God uh, he, went on, he went on to heaven. He ascended back to the Father without a spaceship, 
without special clothes past the moon and the sun and the stars and the planets into the third heaven. And every generation from then till now has been looking for his coming. He is wonderful in his ascension. And then he's wonderful in his present work. Aren't you glad, thank God, that he's real? He's still saving sinners and changing lives. And uh, he's still in business. Uh, he hears the prayers of his children. He provides grace whom we need grace. I was talking to uh, a terminally ill uh, person this week, visiting with him, a lady. And, uh, you know, there's no hope medically. As far as the doctor's concerned, there's nothing they can do and nothing medicine can do. Unless God does a miracle, she's going to die. But I tried to, I tried to comfort them best I know how. And then she's a Christian, and I said, I said one thing I know because God says it in the Word. And one thing I know because I've seen God do it over and over. You know, when the time comes, God will provide all the grace that you need. And I'm glad that he's still in business, aren't you? He's still real, thank God. I was, uh, you know, I was uh, telling Brother Griffin last night, what a blessing I got yesterday morning. Uh, studying this message. And uh, I'm glad, you know, that God's real. And uh, I was blessed over and over and over again. And he's, he's providing grace and he's hearing his children. He numbers the hairs of our head. He attends the funeral of every sparrow. He knows what we go through. Uh, I asked... Uh, Brother Subtle, he had a copy of this. I couldn't find one on this one solitary life. This is one of my favorite. And I think it explains who Jesus is. Let me just share it with you if I could. It said, here is a young man who was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another village. He worked in the carpenter shop until he was 30. And then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never owned a home. He never had a family. He never went to, college, to a college. He never put his foot inside a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He never did one of the things that usually accompanied greatness. He had no credentials for himself. While he was still a young man, the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on earth, and that was his coat. When he was dead, he was laid in a barred grave to the pity of a friend. Nineteen sutures wide have come and gone, and today he's the central figure of the human race and the leader of the column of progress. I am far within the mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, and all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man upon this earth as has that one solitary life. Hallelujah. That's our Savior. <laughs> That's Jesus Christ. And you know, in, in, in the world, we, we're after all the things that a lot of times the world is after and the things of success and and uh, pleasure and possessions and pride and all those things, and yet Jesus Christ 
you know, didn't seek for any of that and never had any of that as far as the world's concerned. But look at the effect he's had upon the earth and upon man's life. And nobody has affected the life of man like that one solitary life. That's Jesus Christ. That's our Savior. I want to tell you, thank God he's wonderful. Isaiah said his name should be called Wonderful. If you don't think it's wonderful, there's something wrong with your thinking process. He's wonderful in his present work. I read a story one time of a man that was riding a train out of Chicago. He was looking out of the window. And the, the other passengers, he was crying out, wonderful. <laughs> and he went a little farther and, wonderful, wonderful. They can understand what's so wonderful. They went and inquired, you know, what's wrong with you, you know? What's, what are you looking at that's so wonderful? Well, you see, this man had been to a hospital there in Chicago many years ago, and, and he had been blind since he was the age of three. And now he could see. And the things others were just taking for granted. Uh, you know, the beauty of God's creation I'll tell you, he was seeing it for the first time. And he was overwhelmed by it and amazed by it. And you know, the problem is sometimes that we've gotten used to the grace of God. We've gotten used to the old, old story of what this season is all about, the Christmas and his birth and his death and his resurrection. And we've heard it so much and we're so familiar with it. don't do a lot for us. But I'll tell you it ought to. He's wonderful in his present work. And then... I finally thank God he's going to be wonderful in his second coming. Wouldn't it be a good time for Jesus to come? Oh, my. I'll tell you, that'd be the greatest gift you could ever get for Christmas. <laughs> it's for the Lord to come. We've all got our problems, haven't we? And uh, some are physical and some otherwise, and all of us have troubles and trials and problems in life. One of these days, God's going to put an end to all that. And we're going to go home to be with Jesus. Get a glorified body. The older I get, the more that means to me. He's going to be wonderful in his second coming. And every generation, every generation since the time he went away has looked for his coming again and has hoped to be alive when he comes back. I believe the Apostle Paul, when he wrote 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I believe that uh, in his heart and mind he was hoping he'd be alive when Jesus came. He said, I show you a mystery we're not all going to sleep. He says, well, not everybody's going to die because the trumpet's going to sound and the dead are going to be raised and we're going to be changed. And one of these days, you know, paradise is now in the third heaven and uh, as paradise and the heart of the earth was emptied, one of these days paradise in the third heaven is going to be emptied. And Jesus Christ is going to go and say, it's time, it's time, child of God. Let's go get your body. <laughs> You're not complete now. You've got, a, you've got the soul and spirit here. And, uh, but, you, you know, you need a body. We're going back to earth. And we're going to, I'm going to set up my kingdom there. And we're going to reign for a thousand years. Then we're going to live and we're going to move on the new earth. And says, for that, you're going to have to have a body. See, we don't need the body in heaven, but we'll need it for the earth life. And so we're going to come with Jesus and he's coming back and he's coming to the air 
And when he gets to the air, he's going to resurrect the body of those that have died in Christ and glorify that body. And when that body is glorified, that soul and spirit will unite up with it. And you'll have the complete man then. And just as Jesus Christ, his soul was in paradise on the heart of the earth and his body was in the tomb there. And that soul and spirit came and united back with that body. So that's going to happen when, uh, uh, when the Lord comes in the rapture of the church. He'll come like he went away. And he's coming seven years later to reign. He's going to be wonderful. It's going to be wonderful when he comes. That's our hope, folks. Someone said, well, if there was no heaven or no hell, it'd be worthwhile to be a Christian. Well, I think I'd rather be a Christian not be one. But I'll tell you, that's not all there is. That's not all there is. There's a better day. There's a, there's a, a glorious future that we have as a child of God. This verse came to me yesterday as I was rejoicing in the Lord and kind of got beside myself and had a good time with the Lord. I'm glad God's real. Is God real to you like that? If you'll get in this book, he'll be real. If you'll spend some time in that book, he'll be real to you. And, uh, but this verse, this, uh, that uh, whole psalm is, is such a blessing in Psalm 103. And uh, in fact, uh, I have a verse written down, but I, just, I want you to turn there before we close. In Psalm 103, and uh, uh, verse, uh, verse 1, I think expresses this, uh, you know, uh, sometimes God blesses you so good and gets so real to you that uh, you just don't know what to say to him or, or, or how to uh, give the proper praise and, and all. And this, this verse 1 just came to my mind. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And that's just what I want to do today, what I did yesterday. He goes on and said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with love and kindness and tender mercies who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. And he goes on and talks about other wonderful benefits that God's bestowed upon us. But that verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And that ought to be our desire today. God with all my whole being. You know the Bible said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. And I think that's expressed in that verse. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name with my whole being, O God. I just want to praise you and worship you and honor you and bring glory to your name. Then there was a, uh, an old song or chorus that came to mind. It says, glory, 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 somebody touch me. And that's repeated two or three times. Glory, 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 somebody touch me. It must have been the hand of the Lord. And of course, the, the verses, as I remember them, talks about while I was praying, somebody touched me. And then while I was singing, somebody touched me. Must have been the hand 
of the Lord. I'll tell you, you know when God touches you. You know when God's real. And I'm glad for his touch. God is so wonderful and so glorious. His name shall be called wonderful. That's just one of his names. <coughs> he has four more mentioned there. His name is Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. Think of that, the Everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. That's our Savior. That's Jesus. His name is Wonderful. Aspire Heads, please.